right, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. What we're going to do this afternoon for our Q&A is uh, I'm going to take one question. Wes is going to take the other question. And then we'll have our invitation at the end. And um, our questions today, one comes from um, online, and the other one was asked in person. And I asked the person who asked me if it would be okay, if they would be okay with me um, using it for our Q&A, because I thought it was so interesting. We were sitting down studying Mark chapter 5, and he asked me, and I had really never even caught it. In fact, I looked at... um, one of the other guys that was there and said, I, I have never realized that that is in there. And so I, I asked him if he would be okay with me using it um, in today's Q&A. And I told him to listen online uh, because I told him the answer I give after I've been able to study it may be a little different than when I answered it right there. But it, it, it's the same, relatively the same answer. So Mark chapter 5. So what I want to do is set the stage because you really kind of need to know what we were talking about in the Bible study, in order to be able to, um, to understand where the question came from. So Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the gar- garrisons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God... Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and herd, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So, we were studying the man with the unclean spirit who had so many spirits in him, demons, he was demon-possessed to the point that he had so many in them that when Jesus asks them their name, they say, we are legion for we are many. Legion is a military term of denoting thousands upon thousands of, of demons that are supposed to be in this one person. And we were sitting there studying it in depth and talking about demon possession and talking about, it's amazing to me how you can have a conversation about the gospel from, from relatively random discussion, right? He wanted to talk about demons, so we sit down and we start studying Matthew, Mark chapter 5, and, we ended up to, and I ended up trying to teach him the gospel because, well, you know, they, they had an unclean spirit. We don't have unclean spirits anymore, but we still have a problem that Satan has laid on us, which is sin, and he's so good at... T- and anyways, we tra- I changed that into a conversation about the gospel. But nonetheless, here's the question, and it comes from Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 10. And he... 
begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The question was something to the effect of, can a sinful person do any good? Because, let's just follow the pronouns in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5. Ready? And let's, this is something that as many times as I've studied Mark 5, I, this never came out to me. Verse 7. Crying with a loud voice, he said, what, do you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God not to torment me. For he, the man with the unclean spirit, was saying to him, or sorry, Jesus was saying to the man with the unclean spirit, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he, the man with the unclean spirit, begged him, Jesus, not to send them, the demons, out of the country. The man with the unclean spirit asks Jesus, please do not send these demons who are inside of me out of the country. And we often think, well, you know, and it came up in the study, this this man is in the tombs because the demons have driven him to the tombs because it's dark. And we put a lot, of, a lot of superstition on this. Demons have the ability or had the ability during the first century to take over the actions of a human being. All right? Yes. Shake your head like this. Yes. Okay. Now, why did the man go in the tombs? Why did he, why did he pull himself away because people had tried to bind him in chains and he would just break free because he didn't have the control of his body. These demons, we can talk about what a demon is later if you want to. These demons had control over his body. And so he takes himself into the tombs away from other people. Then he begs Jesus, please do not send these demons out of where I am right now. Why did the man go into the tombs? He was trying to protect the people around him from the demons. He went off. He hid himself away so that the demons wouldn't get in other people. Now, this man, who is apparently lost, who is apparently demon-possessed, says he's looking out for the spiritual well-being of other people. And so the man asked me, can a person who is in sin do any good? This man, apparently, even though he's lost, even though he's demon-possessed, did something that was good. He took it on himself, went away so that the demons couldn't take over any, person, any other person. Well, that brings us to, to Galatians chapter 5. Flip over there. Can a, can a sinful person do anything that is, quote-unquote, good? Okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse number 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not going to walk into the, the ways of the flesh. You're not going to be led by the actions of the flesh. And he names the actions of the flesh. And then he says, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what the Spirit looks like. Goodness. Can a sinful person do anything that is good? Galatians 5 says that the only reason why there is anything that is good is because that action is being led by the Spirit. So then we boil the question down to, not, can a sinful person do anything that's good? Can a sinful person follow the acts of God? Can a sinful person follow the acts of God? Can they be baptized? That's the point, right? So can a sinful person follow the acts of God? Yes. What if a sinful person, what if a person who is lost takes money to a person who is in need of food, or takes them to buy food for them. Is that a good thing? Yes. Where did he learn to do it? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, this question boils down to, where does goodness come from? And the answer is, it comes from God. Everything that is good, every good and perfect gift, James, comes from the Father of lights, comes down from the Father of lights. Can a sinful person do anything that's good? Yes. Where did he get the idea? From God. Where did he where where does our culture get the idea that that benevolence, taking care of the homeless, taking care of the needy, that taking care of children, that being right righteous and and, and telling the truth, not lying under the uh, what was it, lying in the words of God. Uh, where does our culture get the idea that lying is a bad thing? From God. So can a sinful person do anything that's good? Yes, because our culture, our world has been changed so much by this book that even though they don't follow it, they still believe most of it. They still believe the morality of it. Unless there's something that is wrong or unless their morality has been changed by the world. But God has built within us the urge to do what is right. You get to a point when you know right from what? Wrong. You know right from wrong. What is right from wrong? What this book says it is, right? So that was just an interesting thing. In Mark 5, the man begs Jesus, please do not send these demons in, out of the country. Because what he was doing was trying to get them away from other people. He was, he was sacrificing himself for the good of other people. That is... A, a, an inherently righteous good thing because God has given us that idea that it is inherently righteous and good. So that's the first question. Now, Wes is going to cover the second question, which I don't actually remember, even though I told him what it was. So this is going to be interesting to me. Is this on? Yeah, it is. Okay, cool. I can never tell if this thing comes on immediately, so I'm over here like a crazy person for the first like 12 seconds of me talking, trying to figure out if I'm working or not. Uh, the question I was given, or that Lee bestowed upon me, was a question about the birthright that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, they quoted specifically Genesis chapter 48, which in Genesis chapter 48, if you turn there, you see how Jacob is in Egypt with his sons and Joseph is there and Jacob is on his deathbed 
and he beckons for Joseph to bring his two sons, that's Manasseh and Ephraim, to Jacob for a blessing. So Manasseh was the older one, Ephraim was the younger one, and Joseph brings his sons to Jacob, and Jacob speaks a blessing, and then Jacob, instead of putting his right hand, the hand of blessing on the older son Manasseh, he crisscrosses his arms and gives the blessing to the younger, which is Ephraim, which is kind of confusing, because we understand that a birthright is supposed to go to the oldest, right? The firstborn. And so the question is kind of centered on, first of all, what is the birthright, and second, how is it transferred to somebody? What is the process by which that can be transferred? So let's first of all answer what the birthright is. In ancient Near Eastern culture, the birthright was a blessing and a responsibility given by a father to the firstborn son. Or an older male in the family, a patriarch in the family. And the blessing is recognized by God and honored by God throughout Scripture. Now we see in the case of the Old Testament, though, that it, it rarely actually goes to the firstborn in our biblical characters. If you look back through Scripture, you see how when Abraham had his sons, he had Ishmael and Isaac, who, got the, who was the firstborn, first of all, Ishmael, who got the birthright? Isaac. Okay, and then we go to Isaac. Isaac had two sons that we know of, Esau and Jacob. Esau is born first. Who gets the birthright? Jacob. Okay, then we get to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Who gets the birthright? Joseph. Was Joseph the oldest? No, he was second to the youngest. We see a kind of pattern emerging here about the birthright not necessarily going to the firstborn amongst biblical characters. So that leads us to ask the question of why. Why is it transferred to the younger and sometimes almost the youngest in the family? It comes down to the responsibility that the birthright holds. Because the birthright is a means by which the father gives a blessing to the son in order to carry on the family heritage. It does not mean that he loves his other sons less. It does not mean that he doesn't wish blessings on them. It does not mean that he doesn't want them to succeed What he is doing is he's laying upon the shoulders of his firstborn son the responsibility of carrying on the family heritage under the authority and blessing of God. So what happens if you're a father and you have two sons and the older son, the firstborn, happens to be a heathen? Do you want a heathen to carry on your family heritage under the blessing of God? Nope. (laughs) That's not a good idea. For instance... Uh, In the case of Jacob with his sons, we see what all of those brothers did in conspiracy against Joseph. Would any one of those brothers be a good candidate to carry on the heritage of Israel? Not even close. We see in the case of Abraham with Ishmael and Isaac, which one was actually the child of promise? Isaac. Ishmael was not the proper choice to carry on the heritage of God's people. In the case of Jacob and Esau, we obviously we don't agree with the underhanded scheming that Jacob underwent with his mother to get the birthright. But in the end of all things, Jacob was a better candidate to carry on the heritage of God's people. 
than Esau was. Because Esau was a very short-sighted man. He was a man who was just bent on his appetite, unwilling to control himself, very impulsive. He's not a good spiritual leader for God's people. Jacob, although he's underhanded and sly, was still a bit more refined in the sense that a leader needs to be to establish a nation that is going to one day produce the Messiah. So we see how the birthright functions in terms of the biblical families. Um, and that it's passed down for the purpose of the responsibility of heritage building. Um, we, we see how God kind of helped direct that in some cases too. For instance, I don't think it's coincidence that Jacob chose to bless Manasseh over Ephraim. There's a good reason for that, I believe. Um, I don't have a lot of time. Lee said five minutes, so I'm trying to sum this up because he's selfish and he wants all the time he can for the invitation. Just kidding. (laughs) It's true? Oh, okay. Okay. He admits it. Um, So I'm going to wrap it up with this. Um, In ancient Near Eastern culture, to get the birthright was considered one of the most praiseworthy honors that you could have as a son. It did come with a tremendous amount of responsibility, though. To have that stripped away from you after you've already had it, as in the case of Jacob and Esau, was the ultimate dishonor you could experience. And that's a big deal in their culture. To us, we throw the words honor and shame out there, but it's not really that big of a deal to us because we're not an honor-shame culture. Our culture is justice-driven. Our culture is black and white, fact, not fact, fact fiction. We're very black and white in our culture today. Back in this culture, it was all about honor, all about shame. It was all about what brings honor to my family. And the shame of, of having something so honorable taken away often was more than that person could bear because that takes away all of their reputation, takes away all of their social status. It literally makes them into somebody who is an outcast. So that's why, you read through scripture, you see that's why Esau is so mad with Jacob for all of those years. Because Jacob didn't just take a birthright. We, we play it off like it's some small thing that he did. But taking the birthright literally robbed him of his entire life inheritance that he got from birth. That's why it's an amazing story when you read in scripture and you see them reconcile at the end. And you see how Jacob's journeying back and he sees his brother far off and he... Heard his brother say, last time they met, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And so he sees his brother far off, and Jacob's worried, and he's saying, I'm about to die. I might as well face it like a man. And what does Esau do? He comes bearing gifts of forgiveness. I think we underestimate Esau Esau a little bit. Or maybe he just needed a little time to grow up. But all in all, that's kind of a general scope through which to see the birthright in Old Testament scripture. And it's kind of hard to do if you're not from a culture that hangs its hat on honor and shame. Because it's really a big deal to them. Not as much to us, but to them, that was an enormous amount of blessing and responsibility. I'm going to turn it back over to Lee with that. I didn't didn't say that so I could have all the time. It's just because he lives in Tanzania, and when you tell him five minutes, he means, he reads 15, 20, 30, 45, you know. So... You know, it's kind of like when you want to leave somewhere, and so you say, we're leaving at 9.15, when really you're leaving at 9.30. That's what you got to do to West sometimes. Exactly. So, anyways, um, if there's someone here that needs to obey the gospel, um, I wanted to point something out 
uh, this past week. I, I may have mentioned it uh, Wednesday, but um, it, it kind of goes along with the question I answered. Last week, anytime I speak at a, at a youth event, I always put my phone number or my social media up on the board behind me um, in order so that, so that people can ask questions or get in touch with me if they need to for one reason or another. You know, we usually have, I think we had 30 minutes this time, and I was supposed to teach the entire Hebrews chapter 12. So I didn't have time to meet the kids very much, so I put my number up there. Uh, and during worship, uh, later on that day, I got a text message from a girl who's, who was having some trouble uh, emotionally with some, some depression stuff and things like that. And, um, and she asked much the same question that the guy asked in the Bible study the other day, uh, and that was, how can, I, how can I be a Christian when, I'm still, when I still feel like I'm failing because God doesn't want me to harm myself, but I'm harming myself? How, how do I rationalize these two because I'm supposed to be a good Christian, and yet I still have all of these problems? Um, and I wanted to use that kind of as the, the, the um, invitation this afternoon because in John 1, I know we go over it a lot, First John, sorry. I know we go over First John 1 a lot. But 1 John 1, um, where it says that if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. That is not just a, well, if I forgot to pray for this sin or for that sin, you know, if I, if I cut somebody off in traffic and I forgot to pray about it and repent for it, then I die, then, then it's okay, Jesus' blood washes that's not true. That's, that's not what First John was meant for. That's true that that does happen. Sorry, that that does happen. But that's not true that that's what First John is talking about. First John 1 is talking about the, the idea that a Christian is going to stray. And one, one illustration I used this past weekend was um, most people think that Christianity, living a faithful Christian life, is you become a Christian... And then you stay on the right path until you die or until Jesus comes back one. And if you live long enough, you will die. And so most people think that it's a, it's a straight line, that I, I start here and God is there and I have to stay focused on him and walk straight toward him. And if I veer off it anyway, it's, I've lost my faith. I've lost, my, I've lost everything that I've worked for. And I kind of stress to them that that's not true, that we, we stray sometimes and it's the importance of learning to get back and learning to discipline yourself. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we need to discipline ourselves so that no one is found unworthy, so that no one's found walking away from God. And we're disciplining ourselves so that when you first start, that the, the sweeps may be pretty wide, but then you start disciplining yourself and you narrow yourself in to the point that we've talked about it a couple weeks over a couple times over the last few weeks. When you get to 98 years old and, and you've been a Christian at the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ since 19, none of your business, and you pass away, the, the likelihood that, that you have disciplined yourself to the point after that many years that you're not straying left and right, that's, that's the goal. We're never going to be perfect, but we can get those sweeping motions tighter and tighter to the truth. And that's kind of what I explained to her is that you're going to have problems and she, she, needs, she needs professional help to deal with that. 
And we talked about that. And I got her in touch with her mom, and, and her mom's going to help her take care of that professionally. But one thing we have to remember is, regardless of what it is, if it's something like that or if it's some other type of temptation, you're, you're slowly trying to, to funnel yourself in closer to Christ. And sometimes that's going to be easier said than done. But the importance of 1 John is not that, I, I don't think, we focus so much on the end of the verse, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, that I think we fail to remember the point of 1 John is not for salvation. He wrote the book about fellowship. It's not, it's not a book about salvation. That's Romans. 1 John's written about fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. Yeah, we get the continuous cleansing, but which is more important? Having your sins washed away or having fellowship with God Almighty and in that also getting your sins washed away. Too often, we use religion, we use Christianity and, this, and, and the Bible as, like we talked about this morning, an idol to just check off the boxes when really it is about a fellowship with God. And that's one thing that we're trying to cultivate is a fellowship with God Almighty so that when we sin, we don't have to worry about it because, as Job says, I have an advocate, right? I don't have to worry about my sin because he's going to take care of that. All I have to worry about is, is staying focused on my job, doing what I know to do right now with the knowledge that I have, kind of like what we talked about this morning. So if there's someone here that needs to re- repent of sins, or become a Christian in baptism, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you so that you can let us know while we do that.